Let's get into it then. All right. Awesome sauce. I ask that the gods and goddesses of our respective paths bless this circle so that we may be free and protected within this space. And if you have this one word, pagan or paganism. For the pagan community. Exactly. Right. The, the big umbrella. And that was fucking fantastic. Of the podcast ever. We're three pagans. Exactly. We're three pagans. And a cat. And may the works this day of be of the highest good for all present and those listening. So mote it be. The circle is cast. Hail Dictinus, who grants us clear voices, strong sound, and good reads. Without deviation from the norm, progress is not possible. Welcome to Neurodiversity, the 147th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of singer-songwriter Frank Zappa. Thanks to Velocity Rose for our intro music. You can find more of their work at VelocityRose.com. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. Mary Mead. My name is Gwyn, Ode's mother. And you did say 147th, right? Yep. Holy shit. I know. <laughs> every time we go up a little more. I know. I, like, I, practically every episode, you're like, we're on I mean, number what? <laughs> I, I did just type in the number like a minute ago for Get Local. Mm-hmm. I know that. And you said And it. I said 147. You said, I think that's right. Uh-huh. But <laughs> so why are you surprised now? Until I hear it officially, it's in the like, intro. From the, <laughs> intro. From the mouth of Ode. <laughs> I'm just like, how the hell did we get there? Um, uh, weekly episodes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Tree Wizard Creations forcing us to go uh-huh. weekly episodes so they can get a commercial. Kelly did it. Kelly did it. <laughs> Let's do our housekeeping. So, uh, Car, what do you do? Actually, we have two new cats. Rodney Boyd and Amanda James. Welcome to our newest guest. Welcome, welcome. And two new hunters, Amanda Siciliano and Mock2556. Welcome to our two new hunters. Mm -hmm. If you're not on the Discord, make sure you get on the Discord. So you get signed up for that. And that's for everybody. (laughs) This one says, fresh meat! (laughs) But only, only, what, hunters and above are the only ones that can actually get on the Discord for the live recording. Everyone can access the Discord generally. There is one locked text channel and one locked audio channel that hunters and above can access to listen to our live recordings on Sundays at 7 p.m. EST. And then we have the Get Vocal, Mm -hmm. which is for leopards and above. Is that correct? correct? Yes. Okay, people. So, Patreon, if you want to see or hear our shenanigans live... Right, you want to hear the unedited shit. Go check out Patreon. Or if you want to see our shenanigans, which right. uh, Finn, Gemma, and Elle are currently oh, doing. As we're waving. To spy. To spy upon, to our, spy on spy us, yeah. upon our shenanigans. <laughs> All right, talk about the other things. Community Tosmagana. Oh, yeah, yeah. That. So, uh, every Sunday in Kalamazoo at this weird little bar called Valhalla. We hold from noon until 2 p.m. Communitas Paganus, which is pagan community in Latin. And it's just a hangout, except for once a month when we'll actually do something more than hangout. Just sort of a a way for people to meet and greet, especially Mm post-pandemic, if you are in the Keizu or surrounding drivable distance. distance. I mean, if you want to come up from Indiana or whatever, you're welcome to. We just had somebody in from Elkhart Uh today in the... uh, Brewery, so very yep. cool. And then Gwen, talk about things you do. I am currently just writing a book, mm-hmm. and well, in writing for Papios Pagan. Yep. So I write blog posts for Three Pagans and a Cat on Papios Pagan. So go visit that, and also some of the other writers because there's some really great content on there. And uh, and then of course I'm writing the book Green Earth Witchcraft, which is being published by Wicca Press, mm-hmm. and that's future. Right. <laughs> it's, not, it's not coming out imminently. No. When we have a release date, we'll let you know what it is. Yes, yeah. you will. But you ask me every week, and I tell I you every week, I'm writing a book. That's all I'm doing. That's, that's how housekeeping works. <laughs> <laughs> we, we catch up on what we're all doing. And what I'm doing is this podcast and bartending at Valhalla. And that's it. All right, so I believe that's all our housekeeping. Yep. We are housekept and, and housefucked. This is going to be a little bit of a different topic today. We're going to be talking about neurodiversity and sort of how it can intersect with paganism and how to make pagan spaces more accessible to different needs and all that kind of stuff. So first, we should probably cover the concept of neurodiversity generally. Mm-hmm. Neurodiversity as a term was coined in 1998 by a sociologist named Judy Singer. Various media outlets picked it up and helped popularize it since then. And neurodiversity is the concept that certain ways of being or thinking or perceiving or learning or learning 
that we characterize in our current society as medical issues, as disorders or deficits, are actually just natural differences in the range of, of human expression. And that the problem is less with the brains of these individuals than it is with a society that fails to meet their needs. Mm -hmm. A cultural perception. Mm -hmm. Inspired by, but not completely dependent on the social model of disability, mm -hmm. which is, it's a way of understanding disability, which presents the difficulties associated with disability as being problems with society rather than problems with people. It's a model that's very focused on individual sovereignty, I guess, and on um, the personhood of every affected individual. Right. It was initially, originally applied to the autistic community, because Judy Singer is herself autistic, but it has since been picked up and applied by the ADHD community, people who have dyscalculia, dyspraxia, um, the, the, the one everyone knows about, no, about reading. Oh, dyslexia. Dyslexia, that's the one. <laughs> um, so it's been picked up by those So you, you couldn't see all the letters in the right letter in your mind to say it? <laughs> Just couldn't pull that word out of my brain. <laughs> um, it is sometimes also attached to the community of people who have Tourette's. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people have schizophrenia. Some people in the bipolar community subscribe to uh, a neurodiversity model. The application has been expanded over time. Mm -hmm. And it's there's some contention inside these communities about whether neurodiversity is the most useful paradigm. And sometimes it's being presented as being in opposition to a medical paradigm. Mm -hmm. Personally, I think neurodiverse and medical paradigms can operate together yeah. in, in combination, but I think the focus of neurodiversity as a paradigm is on accommodations over cures. Right. And I think that's probably its most compelling and useful aspect is the, the focus on trying to find ways to make uh, a world that was designed for, quote, neurotypical people less needlessly stressful right. for neurodiverse or neurodivergent people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, when I was reading about this, you know, for today's recording, it made me think of when I was homeschooling you and Jackson, mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, the one thing that you see in public schools, especially, but even private schools is that there's really, they focus on one style of learning. Yeah. And, and it is geared toward the children that have the, basically the easiest time learning the information and then moving on it, it well and it's a lot of a lot of the times it's based on like lecture style yeah it's lecture style or sitting in a desk writing style mm -hmm. my mother was an educator and in special education right. but also I was elementary yeah elementary yeah. and I took courses and was an early education teacher for a while mm -hmm. but when I was homeschooling I learned about these different styles of learning that every every child learns something differently. Some are combined, but so it made me think of this. And and people sometimes learn different topics in different, in different ways. ways. You know, you might do better if you're active while you're you're processing and learning things, or if you're reading and writing it, or if you're hearing it. I mean, there are so many different ways to perceive information and to bring it in and process it and incorporate and it. incorporate it into your understanding and process those that information and be able to repeat it and and not just and, and use it yeah exactly and not just repeat but apply yeah, it because apply a lot it. of our our education system is for just sort of memorization and exactly, repetition but exactly so that's kind of what the, that old definition that uh, you were just giving mm -hmm. me to think of was that was an example for me to go oh okay I get it I think the I think the thing I remember about when we were homeschooling is that I was a like give me a workbook kid right. and Jackson was a give me a task kid. Yes, yes, very much so. Very different types of learners. He was what you would call a kinesthetic learner. Mm -hmm. He he needed to be doing something in order to process the information. Whereas I just wanted you to like give me the book yep. and an assignment and get and a desk and, and, and leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, it was very easy with you, but but you know that's that's how children are though, and mm -hmm. the way you learn is the typical way. Right. The does well in public school. Yeah, way. that's the typical public school way of learning, and it can be challenging for for students who learn in a different way, and it can be hard for them to keep up, or uh, it can be hard for teachers to interact with them because they have a specific way of 
important information schools do. Because they're on a schedule and they're trying to just hit a bunch of kids at once. Right, exactly. Exactly, instead of one-on-one or a small group. So anyway, I don't want to get us off the topic, but that's what... No, I mean, that it is a that's a relevant... I, I feel like it's kind of analogy, part yeah. of that whole idea is that we learn and we process and we understand and we then incorporate information differently. No, we aren't all cookie cutters. We don't right. all come exactly. out... Exactly. Even in the, quote, neurotypical community, right? Mm-hmm. There are all these different ways and styles of learning and of, of absorbing information. And it's that's very similar to the yeah. neurodiverse communities. And I think if people... A lot of times it's just a different style yeah. of processing. Exactly. And I think if people could maybe use that analogy of, well, there are different types of learning, mm-hmm. you know, if they could use that analogy in understanding people who have just different ways of perceiving the world, it might help mm-hmm. to understand where they're coming from. Yeah, because I think that's a very widely understood thing that people learn yeah. in different ways. Yeah. Finn says, video and audio for me, when learning lines for theater, I have to record my lines and listen to them. Even inside subjects, it's different. Because I was, when, when I was a kid, growing up very much a, give me a book and a, and a piece of paper and have me, you know, write down everything I learned in person. But like when I'm learning music... I do it in a completely different way. Like, I am not a good sight reader. I don't read music well. I need to listen to it and practice it and repeat it back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. And I know um, one of the methods that I've used with teaching is that combination of reading it out loud and then having it repeated back to me, mm-hmm. reading it out loud, having you write it down or create something. These are the different methods that I use with both you and Jackson. Mm-hmm. Scoobus is saying, now I'm wondering if I would have gotten an ADHD diagnosis earlier if I'd gone to public school. Not necessarily. Yeah. It depends on the school. It depends on how much they're paying attention, if they have the resources to deal with that. Because let's face it, not all schools in this country are equal. Yeah, many of them are badly underfunded. They're badly underfunded, and they don't have the resources for children who are not neurotypical. Mm -hmm. You might have a child who is actually ADHD and is being labeled as a troublemaker Mm -hmm. or just a difficult child. I've seen that happen. Yeah. So it really does. And then that gets tied into. So a lot of these neurodiverse diagnoses end up being what's called comorbid, which means they are co-occurrent. They you have multiple of them in one individual. So a lot of people with ADHD will also be diagnosed later with depression or anxiety Mm -hmm. or or these kinds of mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And it's because in some cases, the difficulties that society places on this person because of their ADHD ties up all the like their moral worth right in how they react to society through the lens of of being ADHD and it gets tied up in all this shame and humiliation and low self-worth and this was all before COVID with the the school shutdown you know that we had and dealing with for over a year and kids having to learn in a long distance, long distance and which is great for some kids and terrible, terrible for, others. for others. It it just depends. It's not fair, but it does depend on the school system because not all school systems are created equal. Not all teachers are paid equal. And sometimes there's just not good education about what the symptoms even exactly, are. What you're exactly. looking at. Carlu who says public schools are also notoriously bad at noticing ADHD if it manifests in any symptoms other than hyperactive. And that's true. Mm-hmm. Very true. A lot of teachers just don't know what the symptoms of ADHD or autism or dyslexia or, or dyslexia or dyscalculia or dyspraxia because or bipolar or literal or Tourette's or anything. A lot of times people, especially when they're children who are dyslexic, they don't know how to to verbalize the problem. The problem. Yeah. They don't know how to express that they're you know, and so they're just not doing well, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And they're getting low grades and they get discouraged. And uh, Rabbit also says the diagnostic criteria for ADHD is based around boy children. So if you're a girl or older than 10, you're out of luck. Mm-hmm. That's also true. Sometimes there are age and gender differences mm-hmm. in how these neurodiversities are presented. You also have, and this I found out from, again, my mother, who was an educator for over 30 years, you have resistant parents who yes. don't want to admit that their child may have a neurodivergent uh, divergent way of understanding the world, mm-hmm. and so they're resistant to that. Yep. Because there's a stigma. There's a stigma. There is Our world is still geared around 
being everybody being the same, everyone learning the same, and um, and reacting to social cues in the same way. Exactly, exactly. And so you do find yourself dealing with parents, especially of younger children, who are very resistant to what they may feel is a label. Yeah. Yep. You know, they're afraid that their kid's going to get labeled. And uh, that's understandable. Yeah. But I think the solution there is not to refuse to get your child no. the help and accommodations they need. It's to because fight the stigma. It's to fight the stigma and to get educated and understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's for the school systems to get educated on how to help students and people. And, and I think, you know, taking this out of the school system and into the pagan community, mm-hmm. it's the same type of thing. We have to educate ourselves uh, on how we can take the stigma exactly. out of these terms for people and how we can make our own spaces more accessible. Yep. And there are sort of, in the pagan space, there are sort of, I think, two primary arenas where we can work, work on that. Mm-hmm. The first is in how we prepare people for private practice. So uh, a criticism that I saw a lot while I was looking into this, because I'm not neurodiverse, I'm neurotypical Mm -hmm. as far as I know. Uh, One of the major criticisms I saw a lot, especially from people who have ADHD, Mm -hmm. it was that the focus on research in pagan practice as being like a prerequisite for practice is really discouraging and overwhelming because that's not something a person who is ADHD can necessarily just force themselves to sit down and do, you know, like a graduate thesis worth of research. Right. Sometimes, That's why people pay you to do it. Okay. Um, sometimes that research is not formatted in a way that's accessible. Sometimes, especially, and I imagine this is also a problem for, for people who have dyslexia. Sometimes it's a matter of finding the spoons finding the energy to do it mm-hmm. which is difficult if you're neurodiverse right putting that up as like a gatekeep boundary of well you can't practice until you've done x amount of research mm-hmm. is actually pushing people away from pagan practices mm-hmm. is pushing them away from religious experiences that might be meaningful and useful to them because they feel like there's this hurdle they can't even approach right. much much less get over right well, I think, you know, we have promoted the idea of research and, and learning and since the start of this. Mm-hmm. But I think I would hope that we also provide resources for people. But I think a lot of episodes. the, at least for me, I think a lot of the, the resources beyond the episodes that mm-hmm. I provide are like, go read this paper yeah, or that true. book or this website. Because I, and, and we can't cover everything in an hour on an episode, right? right? So, right. so there, I have to be able to say to people, I haven't covered everything here. There's more out there to study, right. but there need to be more accessible ways to get to it, I think. And right. some of that, Swan says, my sister is dyslexic and autistic. She wanted to know about paganism before Audible. This was an impossible feat other than reading the books to her. Right. So, like, I think we need to make we need to make sure more of our books are in audio formats and so that they're accessible to people who are dyslexic or who are blind or, or all of that. Well, and, you know, you've got the varying paths that are tradition-based mm-hmm. where I don't know what, say, like a British traditional... Right, what that if practice they, what, looks what like. What that looks like in their covens, if they teach one-on-one, if they require a lot of reading and study. I mean, I don't know what that looks like, but so, that may be something that they need to look at too. Exactly. So, Carr, you were looking at some of the ADF paths for a while. Right. If I recall correctly, all of those paths required a certain amount of book work, right? Yeah. Yeah, they all required a significant amount of reading mm-hmm. and then writing papers based on those. Right. So they were really sort of academically geared. Correct. Which would make them completely inaccessible to a lot of neurodiverse people who might be real boons to those communities, mm-hmm. but who can't access them because of the way the the gate is structured. Right, right. Now, I do think that it's good that we have Audible and Scribd and these varying platforms that do have audiobooks. And we now have a lot more pagan audiobooks mm-hmm. out there and witchcraft audiobooks than we had in the past. It's getting better. It's, it's getting better. Right. But it's still... For something like the ADF, yeah. where that particular thing was written by ADF people, mm-hmm. there are no, there's no audio of it or video of it being. I mean, like uh, for instance, would be uh, some of the writs that they do. Yeah, they're very involved. 
They right? are, yeah. And they're and they're all written out. But you would need if you were had a dyslexia mm-hmm. problem or ADHD or something or, like or that. Or even if you had like aphantasia where you can't visualize what you're reading. Right. Then you would need to be able to see that mm-hmm. being done mm-hmm. so that you would then be able to do it yourself. To, to recreate To that. recreate it. So right? like for, for all of those ADF rituals that are written out, there should be someone performing a demonstration ritual, like a video Correct. of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And quite honestly, if they don't have a video part of it, the rest of it shouldn't go up either at that point. Yeah. You know, they need to wait until they get the rest of it done. I think it's just that we are so used to things being a particular way, the the neurotypical way of living and understanding and learning things that we just, including in the pagan community, mm-hmm. have not even registered. We just have these blind spots. We have these blind spots. We haven't even registered that this is a need. Mm-hmm. Someone would say, well, if someone has... ADHD or uh, is dyslexic or something, they should just say so. But then that, I don't know that the onus should be on the person. I think the resources should be there first. Yeah, they should just be available. Yeah, right. the, the resources should be available to people. And some people may not know necessarily that they're dyslexic or something like that. Or that they're they, dyscalculic. Because that right. gets, like dyscalculia is very rarely actually diagnosed. Can you define what right. that is? So dyscalculia is... It's usually referred to as the dyslexia of math, mm-hmm. where just like your brain doesn't retain number information. That must be me, because I swear I cannot. <laughs> yeah. Well, normally they, they would kind of like dyslexia. They would read them you'll, inverse. You'll invert or switch up. or mm-hmm. And sometimes that's not even, like that's one component of right, dyscalculia. Yeah. But also there's just like, you'll learn an equation, mm-hmm. you figure it out, you understand how it works. And then a week later, you have um, no memory of how that equation works. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. It's just like your brain just doesn't store and sort that information correctly. And right. that's one that gets diagnosed almost never. never. Yeah. Because people are just like, well, you're just bad at math. Yeah. Right. What you just described yeah, same. Is me. Mood. <laughs> I cannot remember any, uh, like, I can do an equation. Do I have any memory of it after I've learned it? No. Yeah. In the pagan sphere, it's very possible that this individual may be like, I don't know what the issue is but I'm having trouble with this. Mm-hmm. I'm having trouble re- remembering or retaining this information mm-hmm. because it's all written down or, you know, whatever. And so having it, just having it available in different Formats. forms, whether it's visual or audio, just lets people find whatever works for them without yeah. having to like go through the, the emotionally taxing process now, I of like getting a diagnosis for a thing so you can demand accommodations. Right. So now I do understand that this requires some extra work from the various traditions and covens. And, you know, it's going to require some extra work within the pagan community to get these things set up, to make them available. But once we do that, then they are available. And I think in some ways we are, because, you know, we have all these podcasts like what we do Mm -hmm. and there's video casts now all kinds of got stuff on tiktok Mm -hmm. and youtube showing people how to do Mm -hmm. different things Mm -hmm. so i think we are answering the problem but i think it didn't come about in a in a way of oh this is something we need to do i think it just kind of happened organically i think individual people Mm -hmm. are addressing different parts of the problem right but like we as a community are not collectively addressing the situation like in an organized fashion. Right. I think that's true of neurodiversity. I think that's true of a lot of different things though yes. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Absolutely. a lot of our conventions are not handicapped accessible. No. Right. Or uh, or accessible to many neurodiverse people right. either. Yep. And so I think that we need to rethink how we do those kind of things. Yeah. If we say we're inclusive Right. We need to learn to actually that, be inclusive. That doesn't just mean like we we don't tolerate homophobia, right? Like right. inclusion right. is more than that. Yep. Right, right. Be intersectional, as we say. Our tiger, Jim Two Snakes, has spent much of the past three decades providing spiritual and emotional support for individuals that are looking for accountability, wisdom, and a safe supporting space while they discover how to walk their own path. Jim is now offering his spiritual dad service in a Patreon structure. This informal program includes regular contact with Jim and specific guidance for what's going on in your life right now, along with the Talking Stick monthly meeting for some levels and regular phone calls ranging from one to four times a month at other levels. Jim will help you with goal setting, 
ritual and energetic practice ideas and teaching, suggestions, support, and accountability in whatever it is you want to accomplish. And because it's your path, he'll adapt his suggestions to suit what works best for you. It's called Spiritual Dad, but there's no age limit. We all need spiritual and emotional support. To find out more, visit jimtwosnakes.net or patreon.com slash spiritual dad. Hail Dictinus. Also, Finn says, that voice, damn it, soothing. <laughs> <laughs> because, and I think sometimes, you know, you get, especially in, in uh, Facebook groups and mm-hmm. things like that, you know, you get people asking for definitions or assistance mm-hmm. or guidance or things like that. And I feel like on the one hand, you've got some people who are saying, you know, they're just lazy. People are just lazy, you know. And then you've got other people who they, there's kind of this, well, I had to learn paganism walking up a hill in the damn snow. I suffered. <laughs> I suffered and the so should you is a terrible position to, to, <laughs> you know, to choose. You know, and, and so I feel like there's a little bit of all of these kind of things going on. And then you've got some people who I think are afraid to ask for help. Because of those because people. Because of the people who are saying, figure it out for yourself. I saw, I do not remember who it was, but I, I read an article once written by a psychologist. I think maybe she was a social psychologist who said, laziness doesn't exist. That's not a trait that people have. No one is lazy. If they're not doing work, it's because there is something stopping them from doing the work. Mm-hmm. There is some barrier mm-hmm. in the way of them accomplishing task. Right. Doesn't matter what task is, and it doesn't matter what that barrier is. That could be, it could be emotional, it could be intellectual, physical. it could be physical, it could be anything. But there is some barrier in the way of them accomplishing something. No one is just fundamentally lazy. They are confined in some way. Mm-hmm. And the way you solve that problem is you figure out what that barrier is mm-hmm. and you remove the barrier. Make things accessible. And then you will never see, quote, laziness again. Right. Because it's fake. It's something that people who aren't experiencing these barriers to their work mm-hmm. have constructed as an excuse to yell at the people who have the barriers to their work. Mm-hmm. Laziness Does Not Exist mm-hmm. is a book by Dr. Devin Price. Okay, thank so you. I knew I read it somewhere. Yep, yeah. she is indeed a social psychologist. Okay. And I think we've talked about this before. I mean, finding your path and finding information about what you want to learn about can be overwhelming and confusing mm-hmm. to anyone, to anyone, let alone someone who may have an issue with learning things from a, a visual standpoint only, and mm-hmm. they need auditory or they, they need kinesthetic. Or they, they need, need kinesthetic. They something. need to actually do the thing and have someone show them how to do it. And you'll see that a lot in workplaces too. Like the manager who just wants to give you a list of tasks and not show you how to do any of them right. and wants you to just know how to do them. Right. And you find that overwhelming. Or vice versa. The manager who wants to walk you through nitty gritty every little practical step, mm-hmm. even though you already know how to do this and you'd rather just get on with it. Mm-hmm. Like... Sometimes there's just these mismatches between expectations and capabilities. Yep. A lot of which can be solved with just communication, mm-hmm. but we don't do that in our society. Right. Someone made a comment about finding only one big event in their state, and it was a, a camping trip. Camping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a yep. camping trip. And that's not accessible to everyone. There are people yep. who would be unable to because they're you know they're in a wheelchair mm-hmm. or they need to use a cane exactly. or they, they or they just have any kind of mobility any issue. kind right. of mobility yep. issue and there are people for whom that would be inaccessible not even for physical reasons but just for like sensory reasons right. there are all kinds of sensory issues you could run into in the woods that you're not going to run into in your house and there are people who just fucking hate camping and that, that would be far that uh, uh, yeah that's the two <laughs> oh two how do you know you've never been camping i went camping once i went to the Oh, to, the, to the Girl Scout thing. The Girl yeah, Scout thing, yeah. and I didn't enjoy it. That's true. I came and got you early. I did, yes. I did, yeah. My right. one major memory of that, someone hit a butterfly with a stick. Oh. And I was very upset about it. No well, wonder you got on the phone and said, Mom, I want to come home. Uh, yeah. Like, okay, I'm, I'm coming. <laughs> yeah, didn't enjoy that. No. Least. Yeah, and, and like I do have, like, there are some sensory things that bug me, and sometimes they bug me way more than other times and it is impossible to predict when it will bug me more and less and so i don't do things 
like camping where I know I might get dirty and not be able to get clean at a moment's notice, mm-hmm. like sufficiently adequately clean. Yeah, be able to go to a, uh, a hotel. Yeah. Exactly, or, cars the same way. Yeah, like yeah. if I get if I am doing a pagan thing and I have to like get in the dirt and stick my hands in the dirt, I can do it mm-hmm. for the sake of that thing. But then I need to be able to immediately, perfectly clean and dry my hands. Or I will have a whole body freak out, which will be very unpleasant for me. And so, like, if that's not something that's available, if there's not enough water and, like, a towel or something that I can get dry enough with, mm-hmm. I simply will not be doing that thing. Right. And uh, Megara was talking about, you know, knowing a person who has been told by doctors that they uh, should avoid the sun as much as possible Mm -hmm. because of UV sensitivity. sensitivity, And that is a real thing. Only having uh, events that are pagan that are outdoors, you know, makes it inaccessible Mm -hmm. for people who have extreme UV sensitivity. Rhiannon mentions just the heat. The heat. Which they mentioned because their AC is broken and it is 85 in their bedroom right now. My sympathies, Rhiannon. Well, our son has has, uh, issues with temperature. Yeah, Jackson doesn't regulate his body temperature correctly. Exactly. It's just one of those things. Well, it's correctly for him. Right. Yeah. It works. Yeah. It's just like always weirdly hot. Yeah. (laughs) Here's another sensory thing I don't like is feeling other people's body heat, which is why I don't sit next to Jackson because he radiates. That was a, you know, a scary incident we had when he was an infant. His lips turned blue, his fingernails were blue, his toenails were blue, mm-hmm. and we thought he wasn't getting enough oxygen. Turns out he has uh, an ear, you know, just a, a, just a weird, weird internal thermostat. Internal thermostat. Yeah. It's kind of flipped now as he's gotten mm-hmm. older. It's changed as he's gotten older. But yeah, that's just how he's built. I mean, and this is just like normal human variation. Like there's nothing else... Like, it doesn't fuck him up in no, any other way. It just is a weird thing about Jackson. Mm-hmm. And that's often the case for neurodiversities as well. Yeah. And they get maligned. Unduly labeled. I don't think the label is bad necessarily mm-hmm. if it's useful to true. you in it's describing useful. your experiences. That's true. But if it's restrictive or mm-hmm. if it's used to control or confine you, which is the case right. for a lot of disorders, a lot of mm-hmm. uh, medicalized uh, mental health. Mm-hmm is that it can be used to control your behavior, to force you to be institutionalized, to force you to be medicated, to all these things, some of which might be good for you and some of which might not, but you don't get a choice. You don't right. get a say. You you have no agency in that process. And of course, in, in paganism, we're dealing with the occult, mm-hmm. you know, and we're dealing with, you know, mystical and spiritual experiences. That can also play a part in someone who is, neurodivergent, Mm -hmm. that they need to have an understanding of what's going on with them and what's going on with other people. And unfortunately, because mystical experiences are not respected by most people in the medical community, Mm -hmm. um, someone who is neurodiverse is going to have a much harder time. They're not going to be able to discuss their mystical or spiritual experiences with a a mental health care provider, for example, without being at risk of being of being unjustifiably institutionalized right because to a mental health professional that seems like delusion and there are you know i was reading an article from someone who is who has a neurodivergent mm-hmm. uh, condition they didn't specify what it is but they said they've had to learn to um, to know what is a true spiritual experience mm-hmm. and what is connected to their to their mental health to their condition. mental health condition so they've had to work out a way to, to know the difference. Mm-hmm. And I think that's discernment. Important. Discernment. Yep. They've had to work out personal discernment, and that's a process. And that's also a process that I don't know that we always respect. Yeah. You know, we, we automatically assume everyone's experience is going to be the same, I think, sometimes, and it's yeah. just, it's not. And again, a lot of that comes down to communication. And I know that some of these experiences are difficult to communicate. Well, it comes down to, we've talked about this before, I think when we were talking about like meditation and, and things like that. You know, when I was doing guided meditation, you, you were the one who encouraged me to include things for people who cannot visualize. Mm-hmm to, you know, to include sounds and, sense sounds and, and textures and things that, that they could possibly latch on to, to help them get into an altered state of consciousness for meditation or whatever. 
because you don't get that a lot in, in a lot of No, a lot of guided meditations are purely visual. Purely visual. And so I really appreciated you sharing that with me because I thought, oh, this is something I can do to help someone. And so I do always try to incorporate that, a description of a sound or a scent or a feeling. You do that even when we're just doing meditations at home now. It's yeah. really, you've really integrated that, I think. Yeah. But I think that's something that as a, as a community... When we are leading rituals or mm-hmm. leading guided meditations at a, you know, as the for the beginning of a ritual or you know a class or whatever, I think that's something that we need to keep in mind is that you know there are going to be people who can't just go into a visualization. They yeah. need that. They need some other tether. some other tether to bring them into that sacred space. The one thing I wanted to touch on at the beginning there was how we increase accommodations in personal practice. That very much is, I think, making information more accessible and not gatekeeping so much on the do your research stuff. But the other area where we need to work on accommodations and accessibility, which we've already been talking about a little bit, is in our public practice, in our rituals, in our events, even in the materials we produce, but especially in ritual and at, at, at public events. I think we really fail. We sometimes meet basic accessibility standards. We sometimes manage to meet like wheelchair accessible. Right. We sometimes manage to to remember, oh, there should be a quiet room for people who need to get away from all the noise. But that's sort of all we manage to do. Sometimes there'll be a, a, a sign language translator there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there'll be captions or, or, or something available for the deaf or the hard of hearing. Frequently, we're missing one or all of these, never mind everything else we could and should be doing. And a lot of that is just a failure of imagination. Neurotypical and able-bodied people have a hard time imagining what neurodiverse and mobility impaired or hard of hearing or non-sighted people might need. Mm -hmm. But the answer to that is to find those people and and ask them what they need right? so that your event or ritual or community is accessible to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got some people talking about misophonia. Yes. So misophonia is when particular sounds like chewing. Yeah. Like chewing or it could be anything, but often it's like a chewing sound. Yeah. Creates like a, like a tension in your brain that triggers like a, like a fight or flight response, which is actually more common than people think, I think. Mm-hmm. It triggers anxiety. It triggers, one, yeah. Exactly. And so people in the group are saying it, you know, that they try to, if they are incorporating a meal or some kind of food and mm-hmm. drink into their ritual, they try to do it at a different time. Right. Before that individual Or, or to or, create a space where people who need to not be around that. I've, and that's not just for misophonia. Like if you're including cakes and ale or something right at the end of your ritual there are people who are going to have problems with disordered eating people who have substance problems. people who have substance problems all kinds of, of of issues who just might not want to be exposed to that part of the ritual mm-hmm. so create time and space for them to step away from it and to perform some other kind of grounding that's the thing don't just say okay well you're excused from this portion of the yeah. ritual right because that isolates them that separates them out from everyone else who's participating in this ritual provide an alternative there are other forms of grounding you can do mm-hmm. eating and drinking is the most like basic bog standard grounding and it works for a lot of people and that's why it's a common part of ritual structure but there are other grounding things that people can do if that's not an option for them mm-hmm. and they should be provided with those alternatives mm-hmm. thanks to our tiger solanox for introducing us to weavers of the web an interfaith pagan ATC, that stands for Aquarian Tabernacle Church, organized in Lansing, Michigan. Weavers of the Web is a public Wiccan church that aims to be family-friendly, supportive, and innovative, with a goal of ensuring that no one will ever need to be alone in their spiritual needs. Weavers is currently raising funds for the down payment on their property, which would allow them to expand their current network of resources. During social distancing, you can find them online at weaversoftheweb.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash weaversatc. Weavers is also holding regular Zoom meetings, online rituals, and Discord discussions during this time. Hail Dictus. Jack says, I just got home, so this comment is a bit delayed, but thank you for talking about this calculator. 
That was such an oh shit moment for me. It would explain the issues I've had with math all my life, and I had never heard of it until now. Same, Jax. It's nice to know that there's actually a name for it. Uh huh. That's why I, I like labels. I know yeah. some people are very, right, I don't need a label. And that's fine if you don't want one. But I find them very useful for mm-hmm. explaining and discussing mm-hmm. my life. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing, I guess, that is relevant to talk about here, because, you know, I just did a lot of soapboxing about how we should be making our events more accessible. But right. sometimes there's this this problem of conflicting access needs. Mm-hmm. So a conflicting access need is when two people need diametrically opposed things to be comfortable in a space. That can be like a person who needs the light in a room to be very bright so that they can see versus a person who needs the light in a room to be dim because bright lights cause them stress or anxiety or headache. It can be difficult to find a happy medium that works for both of those people. Sometimes it's impossible to make a space accessible to all peoples simultaneously. Sometimes there are workarounds for this, like for example, the person who needs dimmer environment could maybe wear sunglasses. Mm -hmm. The person who needs a brighter environment could maybe have a flashlight. There are solutions, but they're individualized solutions within a space. Mm -hmm. The the issue with conflicting access needs is remembering that no one's needs are wrong. Mm -hmm. They're just different. Right. I do think there should be sort of a spectrum of needs versus wants. Mm -hmm. So like if I want the room to be brighter, but I don't need the room to be brighter Mm -hmm. than a person who needs the room to be dim, their need should take priority over my want, right? Mm -hmm. I'll be fine if the room is dim. It won't do me any harm for the room to be dim, even if I would emotionally prefer for it to be bright. Sort of a, I don't want to say a hierarchy, Mm -hmm. I guess, of needs, but it is, there's a prioritization that has to take place. Someone's health should always be at the top of the list, Right. right? If they need this for their health, like someone who has epilepsy or who has seizures, Mm -hmm. if they need for there not to be bright flashing colors, then I don't care how hard you worked on your PowerPoint presentation with the bright flashing colors. You should not be using it in this space where this epileptic person is going to be. Right. Uh, Now, to be fair, people will plan events and they're not going to know necessarily if there is somebody who has a particular need in the space. Right. But... There should be a way for those people, if they come and they say, oh, this was an issue for me, Mm -hmm. there should be space and uh, availability for people to make comments about what their needs are so that for the next event, those needs can be accommodated and the what was presented can be adjusted. Exactly. The other thing we need to do is just when we promote this stuff online, before Mm -hmm. the events even take place. We need to tell people this is what it's going mm-hmm. to include. Yes. Yeah, we've all ahead of I'm time. So yes, and yeah. it's not just LGBTQ, exactly. but it's it's across the board. And like trigger warnings are one thing, content warnings are one thing. Those are both very crucial, valid, important pieces of information for people to have. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's so much simpler than that. It's like. This ritual will require you to stand for X number of minutes. Mm-hmm. Someone or, who can't stand for X number of minutes needs to know that ahead of time so they can find out if the, an accommodation can be made for them or if they need to not attend. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Don't make them go there and find out at the ritual in the middle of it that you're going to have them standing for the next 15 minutes if they can't do that or if they need their cane to do that or whatever. We've, we've touched on this before. Mm-hmm. I understand the desire for mystery and to keep things a little bit under wraps Mm -hmm. so that the experience is fresh and exciting. But it is just, frankly, more important for people to know what they're getting into than it is for there to be mystery in your ritual. Mm -hmm. And I would say that the mystery in ritual, for the most part, happens the majority of the time in closed groups. Closed environments. Closed environments. And it's it's a spiritual mystery. closed environments, people tend to take (laughs) that to public ritual. Yeah. And they need to eliminate that from, if you're going to do a public ritual, you need to eliminate the mystery part of it because 
not eliminate eliminate doing it, but eliminating it being a mystery. Right. Expose the mystery. Right. Expose the mystery. <laughs> now we're not saying you have to like publish your entire ritual before you no. perform it, but just like go through it. Think like just thinking about the basic shit that's gonna happen. And tell people what that shit is mm-hmm. yeah. so that they can be prepared. And um, it, and it is always, I know people, some people like to be spontaneous and off the cuff, but sometimes that's not always a really good situation for people. We were at uh, a ritual once. It was an outdoor event. Mm-hmm. Somebody spontaneously led the group yeah, in a, on a, in a, a big round, almost running like circle. Mm-hmm. And there were a number of people who just had to bow who out, had to bow out right. because they were physically unable to participate. And they had to do that in the middle of the ritual, yeah. which I don't know if, if everyone has ever done this, but just stepping away from the ritual in the middle of it can actually be super disorientating mm-hmm. because you've, gone into the ritual space right you've put your mind and your your body and your spirit into a different state to right. perform the ritual right and having to like just suddenly be yes. jarred out of it yeah. with no grounding with no exit procedure just being like well i can't do things so i have to ah and just falling out of the ritual yeah. is really like it's a, it's a not good experience. Yeah, it makes the, it takes away the experience from that person. Mm-hmm. And then they're just kind of left, okay, now what do I do? They're left to find their own way yeah. back to... They're just kind of abandoned. Yeah, they're kind of abandoned. And, you know, it, I know that the person who did that was not... It was not an intentional thing. It was no. a spur of the moment. Yeah. They were inspired. Yep. And so they just went for it. But that wasn't the time to improvise. Right. To improvise. That yeah. wasn't the time to improvise. Yeah. Because there were quite a number of people who were physically unable. Because this was a very large it was public a large ritual. There were public outside dozens people. of people. Yeah. Yeah. And so there were a lot of people who had to just suddenly be stay back. That was, I think that was a really good learning lesson mm-hmm. of what... For us, at least, observing it, observing it was, right. it, it was, it was a, a good lesson. lesson. It was a good lesson to understand that while spontaneity and creativity and intuition is important, mm-hmm. there are some places where it is not appropriate to act upon that if it's going to dump people out mm-hmm. of your ritual or make it hard for them to continue. Yeah. Swan says we provide a written copy beforehand so those with anxiety know what's up and those with needs can be approached and asked if they want accommodation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's really good and, and convenient. That's, yeah. not a, that's not possible for some of the really large public rituals, right. I think, or at least it's possible, but it's not practical right. for everyone to, to actually approach and request accommodation, but it would certainly let people know like, well, this just isn't going to work. For right. Me. And I do think if there's some, if there's just some indication, there's going to be standing and or kneeling or right. running in a circle or we're going to do ca- Catholic calisthenics. We're going to, we're going to do whatever, whatever, or there's going to be alcohol or present or consumed. Yeah. Just those little things. Those, the, I think, think can do a lot mm-hmm. toward helping a person understand if they either want to participate these or, allergens will be present yeah exactly you know. or they can go to the to the leaders either before or after and say i really would love to have participated but mm-hmm. and then maybe those leaders can then adapt in the future yep. if not if they're not available or able to do an adaptation at that time yep Rand and Gray says, it can be hard to make it accessible to all, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try, though. Which, unfortunately, is what most people and places seem to choose. It's like they think, well, since I can't make it good for everyone, I'll just make it good for non-divergent people and fuck all the rest of them because they're too complicated. This is the... I don't know if that's a conscious decision. No, but it is a it is a peril of conflicting access needs. Yeah that uh, it makes people feel like the excuse of conflicting access needs can be, well, I can't, I can't do everything. I can't be everything to everyone. So right. I'll be one Enough. thing to this person or none to no or one. None yeah. to no yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and that's why I think that that sort of prioritization should be in place. Like mm-hmm. someone's health comes first, their right. needs come second, their wants come third. Right. And like if two people's health needs conflict, okay, they can't both be accommodated in that space. Right. Sometimes that happens. Right. But if one person has a health need and one person has a want, the health needs should come first. Right. Exactly. And they can then both be in that space. 
person B doesn't get exactly what they want, but person A gets to live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, it really does come down, and we've said this in other episodes on other issues, it really does come down to being open and willing to make changes. To not being an asshole. And it's hard for people to change, especially, mm -hmm. you know, when things in the pagan community have been done a particular way. We are open and understanding of these needs in a way that we weren't 20, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so now that we have this awareness, it is upon us mm -hmm. to make the changes. You don't have the excuse anymore of not knowing. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It is upon the pagan community, the witchcraft community, the druid, the heathen. Mm -hmm. It is upon all of us to, to make these Individually changes. Individually and collectively. Yeah. To make these changes so that more people can become part of our beautiful, vibrant communities. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it is going to be like, you just don't know this is a problem. I see people run into this with like colorblindness accessibility all the time of just like, they don't know what a red, green, colorblind person can and can't see. Right. So like they put together like a logo or whatever and they're like, that looks fine, looks good to me, meets good quality art sensibilities. And they just have no idea that to a red, green, colorblind person that's going to look like mush. But there are tools out there that you can get that'll simulate mm -hmm. what various kinds of colorblindness, what the what that person will see those colors as. Mm -hmm. It won't be perfect, but it'll be enough for you to get a sense of whether this will work, right? Yeah. And you can apply those same standards to like PowerPoint presentations. Mm -hmm. Can't tell you how many times I've seen someone do a PowerPoint presentation that would be completely invisible to a red, green, colorblind person. <laughs> I think we also have to remember that none of this is going to happen overnight. But if we don't at least start trying mm -hmm. to make these changes, they'll never happen at all. Yeah. Yep. And that, you know, that includes not just the accessibility to our rituals and our festivals and events, but also the learning materials. Mm -hmm. We need to begin making changes so that whatever a person's processing ability is, mm -hmm. they have access to the to the knowledge that they seek. Yeah. And so that's gonna take a little while to create, but in the end, it's gonna be worth it because we're gonna, again, have more people who are coming into paganism and witchcraft and learning and understanding and helping us grow into a, a larger community. I, we can't always blame newbies, mm -hmm. you know, for just saying, show me how to do it. And say, oh, they're just, they just need to, to buckle up and do the thing. Mm -hmm. We need to make accommodation for people. Yeah. Because we don't know. See, we don't know that they're just saying, show me how to do this because they don't want to take the time to learn. Right. We are not walking in their shoes. Exactly. You don't know their situation. We don't know the, how, what their experience is. Maybe they want this spell from you because it's an emergency situation and they truly do not have time to learn how to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. Maybe they want this spell from you. Because they tried to look it up and they couldn't understand the material and they couldn't, no one could, could teach them how to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. Maybe like they just aren't Google people and they couldn't find the, the information. Mm -hmm. Like, like there are hundreds of individual, re maybe they just don't have the spoons to yeah. do the in-depth research they would need to figure this out. And they know you know how to do it and you've put other shit on your website before. And so they just want someone knowledgeable to give them the fucking so. shortcut so they can do the thing they need to do. And I think the, I think the first step is to not make assumptions mm -hmm. just because someone comes in and is asking for spells or asking you to spell out uh -huh. how something works. Don't make the assumption that they're quote unquote lazy yeah. or not willing to do the work. And this doesn't mean that if someone comes to you and is like, I want a love spell, and you don't do love spells, that you're like obliged to give this no. person a spell. No. But don't be an asshole about not giving it to them, yeah. right? Just tell them like, I don't do that. Sorry. Here are some other places you could look. Mm -hmm. And then again, I think we start creating resources, more resources mm -hmm. available to people to learn in multiple ways. And then if you know you don't have the time or the inclination or the spoons mm -hmm. you can hand them a resource exactly or a bunch of resources or a bunch of resources to pick and choose from exactly that are visual that are auditory that uh or that just plain that out that are practical that are practical that they can then choose from and learn from themselves yeah i was just thinking about us doing conventions coming up again mm -hmm. where we're going to do speaking engagements and how we can be more accessible in that mm -hmm. 
And so I'm thinking we need some kind of visuals because we do a lot of lecture. Yeah, well, agreed with that. But you know, I'm thinking about like Jack coming to one of our mm -hmm. lectures, right? And we pass out a thing that has Handouts. more information on it than we talk about in the lecture. Mm -hmm. So I just looked up how much does it cost to make to get braille, to get braille printed, yep. and it's it's not cheap. But in comparison, mm -hmm. like you're gonna have to make what five of them, yeah, rather than. A hundred of them. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, you're fine there. The other thing I thought about was doing USB drives. You know, yeah. USB drives have come down so much in price that we could have one of us read what's on that sheet mm -hmm. onto, you know, mm -hmm. an audio format mm -hmm. and give it to them in a USB drive. That's true. So there are ways that we can do this that are not life-altering and prohibitively expensive. We just need to think about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This also, though, does make a, a good uh, point mm -hmm. that we were saying, you know, people asking for help. Don't feel pressured to alter your personal practice to suit other people. If it's not something that you are able to do that's cool that's fine but it but do at least point people to resources right or to other individuals who may be able to to help in a in a situation that you are unable to do right i think a lot of our focus here has been on like what can people who are in the public sphere do right because they have a, a responsibility and an obligation i think yep to at least consider yeah these <laughs> These situations. Yeah, exactly. And not just ignore them and let them go by. But yeah, your personal practice, like if someone asks you as a as a personal witch how to do X thing and you learn how to do X thing with Y resource and that's the only one you have, just give people Y resource. And if mm -hmm. that doesn't work for them, you know, just tell them you're sorry and that there's probably something else out there. And, you know, maybe if you have the spoons for it, you can help them find Mm -hmm. you know a resource that works better for them but like yeah you don't if you're just a personal practitioner you don't have an obligation to solve everyone's problems i think leaders in communities and people who are leading ritual and people who are teaching classes and putting on events those people have obligations to to think about these things and yep. to find solutions and unless we talk about it exactly. and then people who need these resources Make it make exactly make they, because if they don't make it known, then they're not going to do it. And this was the the other thing we mentioned multiple times this episode is communication. Ask the people with the accessibility needs what they need to make a thing accessible, yep. so that you can do the thing they actually need versus like just trying to brainstorm. Yep. Right. And be and I'm going to speak to the leaders one more time or people putting on these events. Be mm -hmm. open to people who yes. come to you and say, I have these uh, accessibility issues or learning issues or whatever. Is there something you can do to help me? And don't just say, oh, well, only one person asked for it. So it's not like a priority. One person asking for it means there's probably 10 people who didn't. Right. Because there are a lot of people who will not discuss these things. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Who, who are afraid because they're, you know, to come and say something because mm -hmm. they think they're going to be blown off. Yeah. You know, or ignore. And then every time one person does come to you and you say, oh, it's only one person, it doesn't matter, you're validating those fears. Yeah, exactly. Because there's usually going to be more more people that are affected by this than you realize. Yeah. All right. So is that it for this episode? I think so, yeah. Okay. I think we have covered it as well as we can. All right. So that's it for this episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. You can find out more about us on Facebook. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find out more about us on Twitter. A couple of us have Instagrams that we never post on. Some I of post us on my Instagram. <laughs> you can find me at Win of Three Pigs and a Cat. Some of us have TikToks that we never post on. Okay, that's true. So. <laughs> I have a TikTok I use exclusively to follow other TikTokers. I've never posted a single video on it. <laughs> I have posted two, and they were from Convocation. 2019. Uh -huh. So uh, the members of the Pride uh, answer each other's questions. That's, that's great. That's I am much the same thing on the Facebook yeah. group, too. Yeah. Yeah. I am there lurking at all times and occasionally put in my two cents, but most of the time I am the silent mod, just watching and waiting for conversations that need to be moderated. Which happen very rarely. Very, so. very rarely. Yeah, everyone's very respectful. Yeah. It's a great community. Yeah, so Facebook page, Facebook group. Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, all those things. Mm -hmm. Oh, and we do have videos on YouTube. They just have not been updated in a very long time. I was going to update them, and then that didn't work. 
and then Ode was going to update them, and that didn't work, and, that didn't work. and, and then, then Gwen was going to update them, and that hasn't worked. No. Nope. So, well, work. spe- speaking of access needs, right. <laughs> oh yeah, my gosh. we're really bad about that. Yep. Probably stop telling people how bad we are at things, but you know, <laughs> we are here every week for you. Yeah. So, that's, that's about the only thing we can promise. Yeah. <laughs> That we are here every week for you, and, uh, and yes, do love you. Swan Swan says three pagans and Jackson eat. Is that coming soon? Yes, yes. this should be coming sometime this month. It's been put off because family things have been happening. Yeah. But one of these Mondays, we're gonna do something. Ode and I already know where we're going. You know where we're going, but we have not told anybody else in the family. So I think that's everything. And that's it. Then we can I think maybe click the stop button. Oh, that's way over there. Yes, well, that's that not means- my fault. But the, the remote it. controls right here. Yes, so that means you can. I the did baby. it on purpose so you could. He does it all the time. So you yes. wouldn't be, be like a remote control. It's a it's mouse. It's a mouse. It's a mouse. It's a mouse. Can I from here do shit over there? Yes. yes. That's remote and control. <laughs>